Welcome to Gospel Matters, where the gospel interacts with everyday life. Well, it's great to be back with you this week. We're here in the studio with Pastor Casey Cease, and we're going to be getting back into a topic that's really at the core of what we try to do at Christ Community Church. We're going to talk today about discipleship, and we're going to do that over the next several weeks, talking specifically and very intentionally about the issue of discipleship. Just such an important uh, function of the church is to disciple people, people who can grow and love Jesus Christ and be more like Him and also create more disciples. And so we're passionate about that topic. So over the next couple of weeks, keep joining us as we continue to talk more in depth about discipleship. But how are you doing today, Casey? I'm doing well, Pastor Brent. I uh, am really looking forward to talking further about discipleship. You know, we did the brief series, Demystifying Discipleship, where we uh, talked just in generalization on what it looks like to bring discipleship in your home and in your relationships and with those who are far from God and then with uh, those who we're doing life with in community groups and discipleship groups. And so what we want to do now is kind of bring in some more nut and bolts, nuts and bolts, a framework, if you will, um, for our listeners and our for our church uh, to start wrapping their mind around as we talk about existing to glorify God by making followers of Jesus Christ who are growing and multiplying. And so we really believe that discipleship is the means by which um, a person grows in their faith and learns to multiply. Um, their life and their faith into other people. Yep. So we're gonna, you're talking about a framework. Let's talk about that framework a little bit. Uh, where are we getting our material from? Yeah, our, our general kind of framework that we're working with is uh, primarily from a guy named Jim Putman, who's a pastor up in Idaho um, at Real Life Church, Real Life Ministries up there. And uh, several years ago, some of our core team members and I went up there for an immersion conference over a few days, uh, learning about uh, their their process and the way that they go about doing that. We actually sell the book, Real Life Discipleship, um, at our book table at the church. Um, and, and some of our um, early members have been through their actual curriculum. I think it's like a 12-week curriculum unpacking that. And while we may not draw all the same conclusions along the way that they might at the end, kind of what all is involved in discipleship and how to go out doing it, we think it's a very helpful framework for us to identify uh, where we are and where our people are so that we can take the next steps in the faith. So really, as we look at this framework, one way to take a look at it is it's a self-assessment. These are, these are some tools that we're going to be giving people so they can kind of self-assess where they are and maybe even even look at some other people and assess where they are in their discipleship walk as a guide, so to speak, of how to take the next step. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, if you take a, a child, I still remember, um, and I've used this illustration in sermons before because it's crazy, but uh, I wanted to become an aggressive inline, that's rollerblades, skater, mm-hmm. uh, because one of my close friends uh, was one. And so I went and bought a pair of rollerblades put on uh, the anti-rocker little wheels in the middle and grind plates and all that. I didn't know how to skate backwards yet, but I still went downtown with them and tried jumping. And I still have a dent in my leg to this day. 20 years later, um, from this little tiny grind in downtown Houston called False Hope. Uh, and it was indeed False Hope uh, because, uh, and it was just, you know, I, but I think that happens so much in discipleship that we want people to be, oh, you've just trusted Christ. Here, read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which is like, you know, 1800 page book or whatever. Or Here's Calvin's Institutes. Can you just pray the prayer? And it's like, hey, you know, uh, we need to be more. Um, realistic about where people are so that we can carry them to a place where eventually they enjoy reading deeper yeah. theological truths, yeah. but also have the frameworking and foundation of which to handle that appropriately and stewarding those truths in their ministry to other people. Very good. Very good. So let's talk about 
this assessment, so to speak. Let's talk about the different stages in the assessment. Why don't you give us a kind of a 50,000-foot overview of the stages that Jim Putman kind of talks about in his in his material on real-life discipleship. Give us a little bit of an overview of those. Well, and he has a great diagram in his book that, that I encourage you all to look at. Um, again, it's called Real-Life Discipleship by Jim Putman. But um, he, he talks about the first stage is spiritually dead, those who do not yet have faith in Jesus Christ, because the wages of sin is death. Um, that those who do not know Jesus are, while might be physically alive, are physically are spiritually in a place of spiritual death. He says, when their person is born again, they place their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. They become a spiritual infant, and so um, there's a there, that, that area that 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 season is. There's a lot of ignorance still about the faith and what's true, and a lot of ideas and thoughts that may not be in line with scripture but that's just kind of where a person is like a real human baby um, needs a lot of assistance and care and protection um, and then that person hopefully as they grow and mature um, will then tra- transition into a spiritual child um, and, and even like like children uh, the world revolves around the individual child and and many times that that's a true for a spiritual child as well that it's more about the individual's preferences than it is about God's kingdom or what's going on and so um, and and I believe he makes this assertion. I've heard other pastors make this assertion. I've made this observation that I think part of the decline and um, the lack of real influence um, in particularly evangelical America's uh, church is because I think a lot of people have gotten to where they're spiritual children. They know enough what they need to know about God and are still very self-focused and me-centered and that we have multi-generationals of a bunch of spiritual children because that's the hardest place where people get stuck and where people need to be drawn just beyond personal preference to what does God prefer. Yeah. And so following that, they move from spiritual children um, to uh, young adults. And those people are identified as those that uh, are increasingly more God-centered and other-centered. Um, their language and behavior changes more towards, um, instead of being upset that more and more people are coming to my church and taking my place, people are thrilled to see God at work and moving in people's lives. Rather than asking, what can I get? The, the new question becomes, how can I serve and what can I give? Um, and they're, they're ready to start taking on more responsibility and more leadership, which hopefully will then lead them to becoming a disciple maker, which Putman identifies as a, as a spiritual parent, yes. someone who replicates life and the life of others who then trained up in the same way to bear fruit. And so those are the genuine, uh, the, the, the overall stages of um, this identified process. And I find it very helpful, not only as a pastor to identify when I'm uh, speaking with people or disciples people or leading our church, but also for myself that I can realize that, man, I really, in this area of my life, I'm behaving right now like a spiritual child. And I've got to come back and remind myself of the gospel and remind myself of what Jesus accomplished on my behalf and and then ask better questions about what does he want? What does he desire? And it brings me out of that and helps me grow. And and to do so also not in isolation, but in community. You know, as you talk about the the reality that we face in, in the modern evangelical church, that we appear to be have churches filled with spiritual children. And I think that that's probably a symptom of interacting with a culture that allows people to grow into physical adulthood, but leaves them very much in emotional and, you know, and and, and emotional and, and, uh, mature, you know, uh, mental 
childhood. Yeah. Uh, it allows them to stay in a place where they don't mature at the, at the rate that they should be. Well, I mean, if you think about it, because we gain authority and influence in other ways, whether by success or by money or, um, you know, we learn the vernacular, but there, there are tons of spiritual children who know all the words to say. Uh, and, and really, I mean, you think about a, I remember when Braylon was younger, she thought it was hilarious to mimic me and to, to copy what I was saying and to say my words. And I think we have a bunch of mimicking spiritual children who can say the words of those who are more spiritually mature, but there's a head-heart disconnect where yeah. they might know the right answers, but their heart is not influenced by that truth. And so we have to be really mindful of that as we help people grow. And, 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 and that only happens in community. And a lot of times people tap out of community um, before they really engage with those truths, right? And so they, they want to hide or blame or move on. And so their sin keeps them in the childish place of taking their ball and going home or moving on instead of being confronted with the fact that maybe they don't have it all figured out and although they're smart and have intelligent things to say they don't yet have the maturity of faith to really press into that and, and understand the implications of their life but that real hinge and I think you pointed it out between childhood and young adulthood is when it stops becoming me focused and starts to much more become others focused and God centered I mean it's yeah, God focused where it's like our sin is less about ooh am I caught to more about man this displeases God and it hurts others right it's a shift it's kids when they mess up they want to hide and they want to blame much like our father Adam did after he sinned right um, when we're in Christ and maturing in our faith we want to honor God and honor others and so we'll own our junk and it's not that we're not going to mess up it's just the time between uh, us messing up and saying sorry becomes hopefully shorter absolutely absolutely well let's focus today because uh, I want to bring us down where each week we're going to focus on one of these levels um, and so let's focus today on the spiritually dead, okay? Uh, because I want to take a look, a little bit clearer look at what it takes. What what are the attributes of somebody who's spiritually dead? I mean, we're all start there. Every single person who's listening to this broadcast has started there. So, what what are some of the attributes of the spiritually dead? And then, how do we, hopefully, we're spiritually alive, begin to look at those people and, and begin to minister to them. So let's talk about that first. What are the attributes of a spiritually dead person? Well, first is unbelief. They don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They don't trust in Him, whether they're atheistic or they're agnostic, or um, <clears throat> they believe that um, they're in a different type, they believe in a different type of God, or even in a cult that believes in a different Jesus that's not of the Bible or historical, um, then, then that's mark of a spiritually dead person. I think, I think the challenge for a lot of people is they look at the behavior of a person and cannot fathom how a good, nice appearing person could be spiritually dead, right? Because I've heard that argument time and time again. Well, that person may be of this other faith, but they're such good people. They have such good kids. Their family's so good and all that kind of stuff. But what makes person a true born-again believer isn't that person. It's the source of their faith, their faith the, the focus of their faith, which is Jesus Christ. So the first marker is unbelief or um, belief in a wrong God. Um, usually uh, spiritually dead or belief that, hey, if there is a God, there's I'm, I'm a good enough person. Or they flip on the other side and that they're never going to be good enough to get to God. And so there's a gross misunderstanding of our goodness compared to God's holiness. And so th there's, there's really no acknowledgement of his perfection and our brokenness and his ability through Christ to remedy that issue. Right, right. Um, but rather just they move towards that. Um, you'll see... Uh, uh, for those who are spiritually dead, have anger at times towards Christians or 
people in their family who are followers of Christ. And sometimes it's rightful. There's sometimes Christians do boneheaded things. But you see this just unwillingness to forgive. And we see that a lot in our culture day and age. Um, when we see people being so open-minded about things that are cl- clearly contrary to Scripture, but then call, but are so close-minded towards those they perceive to be close-minded towards the things they're open-minded about. And so you have people who are so open-minded until they meet someone who disagrees with them and they call that person closed-minded and yet they behave in a closed-minded manner towards that person. Yeah. They won't consider yeah. what they're saying. Um, you know, and so, I mean, you get that kind of idea where, where you talk about biblical truth or you share the gospel with them and, and they just don't get it. They argue it. They don't need it. They don't want it. That, that's a marker and a sign of spiritual death. And even that arrogance of I'm smarter than God, I'm smarter than you, I know better that you don't need this. You're believing in myths and mysticism. Jesus and Santa are like the same thing. I mean, that those are markers of those who are spiritually dead. Okay, so let's talk about how we minister to someone like that. Um, the... Uh, we're good Reformed uh, Baptists, yep. and so when we think about this issue, we we come to this as a, from a perspective that um, there's nothing that we can do to change that person. Right. Uh, that there's that this is not something that they can be argued out of. This is not something that they can be reasoned with through. Uh, as, as the means of changing their heart, because ultimately this is a heart issue, right? This Absolutely. Is, they're living spiritually dead with a heart of stone. How do how does this person get changed? You know, I, in my experience of ministering to people who don't yet know Jesus, it, it, part of it's just a relationship, beginning a relationship of, of trust, where you show them that, hey, this person, you, you're not a project to me, you matter to me, because I believe full-heartedly that you matter to God. And even though you don't believe God... Um, God knows you, and He knows that He made you. And so I think having a, a, a relationship with a mature, or maturing believer is a first step of helping. I think also having spiritual conversations with people, um, asking them, okay, well, how is it that you drew that con- conclusion? How did you go about um, believing that? Where, oh, you believe in this faith? Okay, well, well, based on what? What what truth is it? And a lot of times you help people start seeing whether like they're, you know, you know, I still remember years ago watching one theologian who believed the Bible to be true and believed Jesus was true, um, arguing with another man um, and uh, on CNN, and, and the other guy was saying that I went out into the forest and blah, 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 and the Spirit came to me and this and that. And, and the guy said, well, so you're saying you have no other, other uh, objective uh, truth than what you experience? And the guy's like, that's correct. And he said, well, you're making it up is what he told him. He's like, because, you know, and and just this idea of uh, making up um, what we want to believe, and that's very prevalent in our culture, you know. And so um, they need need a a maturing believer to have a relationship with. They need uh, to see people live in a way that that wants to honor and reflect the Jesus of the Bible. Um, Putman talks about that they need constant evidences uh, for Christianity, answers to their questions, explanation of the gospel, and also uh, an invitation to say, hey, would you like to trust Christ? You know, Because ultimately, them trusting Christ um, is not about them making the right choice as much as God choosing them and them realizing it or not. I mean, right, right. as you indicated that, uh, you know, Reformed, Baptistic, uh, church, Calvinistic, and all that, uh, you know, there's still a call to repentance. I mean, we see that in Acts chapter 2. We see that in, in several locations of Scripture. And Jesus, throughout the time, was inviting people to come and follow him. And so I think we have um, that vision of, you know, hanging out with people who are far from God. And it, it's interesting. I read a, a, a comment a while back from somebody that said, 
You know, if you think that when you when you talk about as a Christian being a friend of sinners, I think you're mistaking who you are in this whole thing. Right, right. <laughs> because it's really sinners being friends with other sinners. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, think, I think I saw that. Somebody posted it um, and say, if you got from uh, uh, Jesus that you should be hanging out with sinners more, then you probably forgot who you are and who Jesus is. That's I it. Mean, that, you know, that's, that, that is a, you know, but we are supposed to engage with sinners. Absolutely. With, with, well, we are sinners. We are supposed to engage with non-believers. But it's like a tour guide, right? Someone who's been somewhere before and then can give answers to how to get where they need to go. But so, so let's, let's put a fine point on this yeah. because it's more than just hanging out with non-believers. Absolutely. There has to be a boldness to declare the gospel to yeah. them, to, to, you know, but declare it in a way that it's not like you're just preaching to them necessarily, but you have to tell them what the gospel is, you have to explain it to them, and then you do have to call them to repent and believe. At some level, that has to happen. Right? You, ha- you have to. Um, and and I think what's confusing is I've talked to people before who've gotten up the, the gall or guts to evangelize a friend, and their friend is like, <laughs> I mean, I've heard the story more than once, like, you're no different than me. You go out and get drunk with me, you get high with me, you do this with your girlfriend, boom, 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 whatever. And it's just very inconsistent. So I think the I think the courage and boldness begins by living differently for the sake of Christ. So that when you open your mouth for the purpose of Christ, people aren't confused. Yeah. And it's not that we're not we're all hypocrites, we all fall short, we all, you know, there's plenty of things we could do different or better. But what we must be mindful of is that when we um, engage in such a way with, with non believers, um, that that we're we're going as an ambassador, right? And so, it's not just you know. I think I think a lot of us, including myself, it's super easy to want to be liked more than you want to be faithful, and so we might compromise or be unwilling to have a conversation. But I'm also reading a, a book right now. Um, I, I don't know if it's uh, it's it's a story of an unlikely unlikely convert, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, I believe her name is, uh, who, and as I'm reading her testimony, she was. Um, a feminist English professor in a, in a relationship and, and all these things going on and this pastor just started engaging her in friendship and they would, he, she would naturally have questions arise and he would answer them but it was a long period of time before he got to the point where he challenged her on the gospel and invited her to church because he wanted to establish trust with the person and if a person's been hurt a lot or had a lot of wounds you know, I think a lot of times Christians we get too quick on like, oh my gosh, if I don't share the gospel right this minute, then then they're not going to hear it. So I think it's a both and. Um, but I think the more we try to live our lives in keeping with the truth of the gospel and walking with Jesus, the more opportunity we'll begin to have to open our mouth to speak of the things of faith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about this issue. Let's say you're a church going person yeah. and you're plugged into your church, and the argument you might raise is to say, well, I don't know how to find people who are lost. I don't typically hang out in that crowd. Or how, how would you advise that person? Where if you do they live go? It, I mean, if you live in a hole, then maybe that's true. <laughs> but it's like, you know, um, you know, even though we're, you know, I always joke and call ourselves butter churning homeschoolers, uh, our family. My daughter doesn't go to Christian dance. She goes to regular dance, and we engage with friends there. We go to the gym um, and meet relations. You know, my, my wife, is, is that's kind of her third place where she goes and meets people, and she's invited several moms out to go get snow cones with her and some other friends from church. And third, third place. Tell us yeah. what's the third, third place. Third place is something we talk about here at Christ Community Church and our community groups, that we have family meals together, that we start breaking out in discipleship groups as a group matures. And the third place is a place we consistently go, whether it's a restaurant or a sports club or 
um, you know, fitness place or coffee shop or work or whatever to go and be incarnational and to have relationships with people and, and to build relationships. Because, I mean, the, the fact is, is even though we live down in the Bible Belt, there are plenty of non-believers all around us. I mean, there's there's 28% one way or the other from where we currently meet at the church, uh, 27 to 28% either way who don't identify with any sort of religious faith out of, you know, um, out of several hundred thousand people. So it's like, okay, there's still plenty of people who don't identify. And there's another, I think, probably big bulk that do identify as something but have not been born again. Right, right. Um, and so, uh, I mean, in our context, if, if, you, if you're unaware, if you're only doing Christian things with Christian people all the time, um, then you're in sin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you can walk right down your street and even if you assume go outside, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, even if you live in a Christian neighborhood, I mean, statistically, it's it's not all Christian. So, right. and I don't know of any in our area. So, so let's let's tackle the next big issue. Yeah. So let's say you do that and you start meeting people. How do you engage people relationally, um, in that way without making it awkward? Like you're you're there to sell them something, or you're there to, you know, because you obviously you you want to be get them in a position where you can talk about the gospel. But how do you do it in a way that you're not trying to sell them? You know, you're not doing it with an agenda. You're doing it because you actually want to get to know them and care about them. Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, we're not getting commissioned by everybody that buys, and so I think if we go in with this idea of like I have to get them to agree with me, you're going as a spiritual child to engage in that. Yeah. You're going as a spiritual young adult or spiritual parent. You're going because you love them because God loved them and God providentially brought them into your life. And that it's consistent with your life message that you believe the gospel is true for all who will believe. And that, that those who don't believe, there's, there's significant eternal consequences for that. And that matters. And so in the same way, I would go to any of my neighbors if their house was on fire and make sure they were all out safely out of the house and call in help and everything else. We have to have that, that same view of like, hey, we're not doing this to, because we're better than them. We're doing this because we relate with them. Because we, at one point... We're spiritually dead and far from God. And because we know the joy and grace of being forgiven of that, our overflow is to want that for everyone else. I remember when I got a new Z, Z28 Camaro when I was a kid, and I talk about it a lot when I share my story, but um, it was a stick it was a stick shift, and I had an automatic car before that. I learned to drive stick on a little four-cylinder uh, Toyota a friend of mine had. I could drive it a little bit. Well, I had to drive it all the way down from Baytown, a six-speed V8, as a 16-year-old kid. And I remember going to a dance concert that night my girlfriend was in, or dance performance, whatever. I kept stalling in the parking lot and everything else because I didn't know how to drive, <laughs> but I was so excited to show off my new car to everybody that I didn't even care. I was humiliating myself because I didn't know how to drive it. You know, and so it's like, I think we, we, we can't treat Jesus like a, you know, like a, a, a weird step brother or oddball cousin that we just have to bring out occasionally because mom makes us. He's a beautiful, gorgeous, powerful, almighty savior king who came to rescue people. That's right. And so we, we don't we don't shy back from that. But it's like, hey, um, <laughs> our life is continuously reorienting around this man, Jesus, yeah. and being impacted by it. And so um, we, we would not be loving if we did not share the good news of Christ. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. We have to learn to love him very much. Uh, if we want to be able to talk about him, that's and it. So the, the the greater Christ becomes in our mind, the easier he will be to talk about that's with right. others. I think that's there's a lot of truth to that. All right. So last question here. All right. All right. You've got a person who is they're thinking through this, and you've described a spiritually dead person. They, they don't have belief. Mm -hmm. They think the things of God are foolishness. Uh, but they could be listening to this podcast. Yeah. And they could be coming to the conclusion that you know maybe that's where I am. What do you have to say to them? 
Well, first of all, if you've made it through uh, over 20 minutes of a podcast <laughs> on discipleship and evangelism and you're not yet a believer, um, then, then certainly God's at work. Even if you've been formulating an argument against whatever we're saying, I believe that God and his providence is drawing him or her, you if you're listening, uh, to faith in Lord Jesus. And you need to come and understand that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are deserving of his punishment. But even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you too will be saved and forgiven. And you must be saved and forgiven or face an eternity separated from God in a place that's real called hell. And the good news is you don't have to. And so if you're listening to this and you realize that you don't know Jesus, but there's a desire in you that you realize you need to, then simply the Bible says to confess, and that just means acknowledge and agree with God that you haven't lived believing and following Jesus. You haven't kept the great commandment of loving God with all you are and loving your neighbor as yourself, and that you've broken his commandments, and that you want to believe, you hope in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ who lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, will come back, and you want Jesus to save you. And the beautiful thing is, if that's happening in you right now say those things and doesn't matter how you say it but just know that god is doing a miracle in your life and that now you can lean into that okay and, and if you do that then you'll be a spiritual infant yep. which is what we're talking about next week on gospel matters and if you're not a spiritual infant maybe you are maybe you're going to do this assessment and you're going to realize you know what, i'm still kind of a spiritual infant then definitely tune in but even if you're not you're going to run into lots of spiritual infants in your walk and how to minister to them, how you minister to them is going to be important for them and for you. So tune in to us next time and, and we'll talk about spiritual infancy as we continue to talk about discipleship and get into the nuts and bolts of that. See you next week.